Hello and welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. We are two friends who studied archaeology together and love history and food and making things. So what have you been making recently? Um, I got hold of various dried fruits and things because um, I've decided to start rather than buying all the different like tea blends because I do currently have like 30 kinds of tea um I'm just gonna buy leaves and like misc and do my own mixes that's that's quite um ominous like just miscellaneous tea well I've, I've got various kinds of leaves and then I've got some dried fruits, some dried peel, um, pink peppercorns, because it turns out that's really nice in tea. Oh, wow. And some burdock root. Oh, that sounds like a fun time. Just like It's going to be fun to play around and just make all sorts of concoctions. <laughs> Making potions. It's, it's going to be good. It feels very witchy. <laughs> I like that. But, like, wholesome, because it's tea. Yeah. Awesome. What about, what about you? Um, I haven't really cooked that much, apart from, you know, the average stuff. But it's been ages since I baked anything. I need to do some baking. I need to make some actual good hot cross buns. Because um, the last ones I made a few weeks ago, I'm pretty sure I used the same yeast that I used last year. And that's why it didn't work. That might be it, yeah. Yeah, so I've got some new yeast. <laughs> um, yeah, apart from that, um, just kind of been doing a lot of um, knitting and things, but I haven't I've just been working on um, ongoing projects. I am starting an embroidery project soon, which for me is exciting because I haven't done that much embroidery and I normally like to have a pattern and I don't for this one because it's a piece of my grandma's birthday. Um, it's gonna be a, a like an embroidered portrait of her um, using a, a picture of her when she started nursing in the 50s because um, it's her 90th birthday this year. So I'm, I'm gonna attempt to embroider a person. That's, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I yeah, it's it's like an important thing to her. She talks about it a lot. So I was like, oh, maybe she'll like this. Oh no, now I have to do this, and I've got two months. So we'll see. <laughs> oh, dear, you've, you've got two months. Yeah, it should be fine. I mean, it's not going to be massive. I'm not doing like a tapestry. Can you imagine though? I can imagine. <laughs> I mean, I. I was worried that like she might not want a picture of herself on the wall, but I personally would love a full-size wall tapestry of me looking very cool. I would hang that who, up. Who wouldn't? <laughs> I feel like that's the rule. You're only allowed a picture of yourself if it's massive. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely precedent for that. Like, lots of ye old rich people had big paintings of themselves in their entrance halls, right? Oh yeah, preferably over a fireplace. Yeah, preferably with like one boob out. <laughs> Just the one. Tasteful, you know. 
your favorite boob, like that one, <laughs> that one mistress of Charles II. I don't remember which one. Oh, was there one who like, you know, like like your good side? There's yeah. always the, the same one out. <laughs> I love it. I don't know which one my favorite is. I mean, but, I, as this is a family podcast. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> Let's move on. Okay, what are we talking about today? Um, so, you know how I do, like, folk music history YouTube things? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, a lot of the ones I've been doing recently have been from broadsides, so I thought I'd do broadsides. Oh, excellent. I didn't actually know that much about them. Okay, so, I mean, I... I know what they are in that I know that we are we're not talking about um a ship firing lots of cannons, right? Correct. Okay. We're talking about music sheets. We are. So they're called broadsides because they're big pieces of paper. Oh not okay. Surprisingly, I suppose. Like how you get broadsheet newspapers, which are just the ones with really big pages. Oh, suddenly that makes sense. Um, yeah, so we're in the 17th century. People have just got access to, in Europe, I should say, have just got access to movable type printing. Ooh, and shiny. Just easy printing generally. Um, so suddenly it's very easy to distribute things like flyers, news, um, sometimes just doggerel. Um, <laughs> just any random rubbish. Yeah. Um, yeah, political stuff, woodcut illustrations for a penny a go. Like you, you would have people in village squares or wandering the streets of London selling just sheets of paper with all, with any or all of these things on them for a penny. That's not bad. But they are probably most well known now for the ballads. Um, okay, so like the the popular music of the day was something you could just like buy on the street. Oh yeah, or even just see, sometimes it would just be like pasted up like a poster. Oh, that's cute. Um, often not with musical notation. Um, but apparently some of them would say like, to the tune of Greensleeves and things like that, like the, the more well-known songs. Uh, that makes sense, because I guess maybe not a lot of people are going to be learning music notation unless mm. you're like a nice young lady um who would probably be buying books of sheet music and not not the terrible vulgar street music <laughs> oh not the popular music well some of them are about ladies being pregnant <gasps> or gentlemen having having their way with ladies and i don't know what this voice is i don't know what you're talking about this one is clearly just about an agricultural machine 
I mean, I've told you about my favourite ballad, which, let's just say, uses carpentry as a euphemism. <laughs> um, so yeah, there was, um, there was a company of stationers in London, so at this point stationers are, they sell stationery, they print and publish things. Um, so there was a, a stationers company in London in the latter half of the 16th century, tried to register all of the ballads in circulation. All of them? Yeah, they recorded over 2,000. Oh, wow. Um, but it's generally considered that there were probably more than that. Because, mm. again, you could just get them, get a whole load printed and sell them for a penny, paste them up on the walls of pubs. <laughs> so were they, who was publishing these? Or was it just like individual people like, oh, I could make some money from this? Um, so it seems to have evolved from sort of the concept of the wandering musician from minstrels. Um, so you'd have what were known as balladeers actually getting the songs printed and selling them to make a bit of extra money. Oh, that is a fantastic name. Including, like, singing songs in the streets and then selling the sheet music, almost like buskers selling CDs. <laughs> That's good advertising, I guess. It is. And, I mean, it, it works for buskers. Mm. Um, but the, the stationers that I mentioned, they had this... Basically, because because they were printing and publishing, they just had total control. Mm-hmm. So you'd have, you know, Protestant stationers printing bad things about the Catholics and Catholic stationers printing bad things about the Protestants. I see. Um, and a lot of them did get quite political, the broadsides. Because, again, this wasn't just songs. Mm-hmm. Um Although there's one that may be a poem, maybe a song, um, called um, Cromwell's, I believe this word is pronounced uh, panegyric. What, what is that? Um, so it's a form of complementary verse. Um, it's kind of, it's sometimes used synonymously with eulogy, but it's not necessarily after the person's died. Okay, um, so except it's... this one was published in Ireland. And if you know anything about Cromwell's activities in Ireland, you will know that it was incredibly satirical. Okay. Um, it was very much a roast of Cromwell. Um the text of it's available a lot of places online. But it's it's basic it's it's a full-on roast. It's like, ah, well he'll he'll be very busy keeping his big nose in everyone's business and all that kind of thing. <laughs> it's like not actually saying anything outright against him because, you know, you couldn't really in Ireland. If he got caught, that would be a problem. So it's, yeah. And that that's one of the most widely distributed ones, we think. Okay. Oh, fantastic. Well, I, everybody loves a bit of making fun of the people in power. Especially the ones that do a colonialism on you. Mm. That was the wrong word, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Prepositions. It's been a long day. 
<laughs> so yeah, by by the 1600s, you also have what are called Chapmen, which again I love. Um, possibly the etymology of the surname Chapman. Okay. Um, is that to do with like chapbooks? Exactly, because you would have people would either buy several and bind them together themselves or publish these chapbooks. Um, so that's just a, a short, it's almost like a pamphlet of these songs, poems, etc. Because, okay. um, yeah, the, with the broadsides being so big, you could often like fold them, fold them up into these little booklets or cut and bind them into chapbooks. So you had chapmen actually selling the booklet itself um, rather than the individual broadsides by the sort of late 1600s, early 1700s. Um, and Robert Burns and Samuel Pepys are both known to have um, published these chapbooks. Okay. Oh, I guess Robert Burns seems like the kind of person that would, being, you know, like a poet, but Samuel Pepys is a surprising one. I mean, he, we know he just liked to document things. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of his whole jam. But, I mean, Pepys is probably responsible for a lot of the 1600s songs that we still know about because, you know, he was a well-known figure, so his, his collections survived. Oh, fantastic. So there's an actual, like, original large collection of them um i don't know if there's a whole collection of them but he was um definitely a big force in preserving a lot of these songs from that time okay um a lot of which were a lot more sort of everyday because you know you have you have these big dramatic ballads that the rich people would be singing mm -hmm. um you know very opera type stuff and but then you have a lot of the the broadside ballads again a lot of them very innuendo laden mm -hmm. or sometimes even just outright or just about drinking or being sad that you're poor just all all of our favorite folk <laughs> motifs i think <laughs> might show up in broadsides ah, okay is that why sometimes you get so many different versions of the same song? Because it might have been published by, like, multiple people. Well, because, I mean, folk, folk music is ultimately an oral tradition, I think, especially mm -hmm. in this period. But I would have so, thought that... Um, so you have it kind of spreading and changing as people move around, and then all these different versions get published mm -hmm. that all end up as either different but very similar songs or you know 200 versions of the same song <laughs> like all they all have the same title and different words and sometimes also different tunes because again there's not you don't really have a melody included although apparently I... at the turn of the 18th century some some of them did have like staves of music printed on them Okay. But, but they were largely decorative. 
like I was reading, I think it was the National Library of Scotland article on broadsides, um, but I read a lot of articles about broadsides this week. Um, was saying that m most of the the musical notation on broadsides sounds absolutely awful because it's just what looks nice <laughs> kind of like you know how you get like decorative runes on things and then if you try yeah. and read them it's not even pronounceable i guess it's a, just a way to be like hey this is music mm. this is a it's, song it's shorthand but again most people wouldn't have been able to read music i i feel like most people can't read music now even yeah you, kind of, you learn it in school and then you forget yeah um and i guess i suppose Today, if you're learning an instrument, you tend to start with the learning to read music and then like you learn that along with the instrument. But um, back, you know, in the past when a lot of people did play an instrument, you know, like it wasn't just a rich people thing, um, but you would that would be something that you would learn by ear first mm. and then maybe later you would learn some like notation but um but that was a tradition that was mostly passed on just by ear so it makes sense that there would be this big demand for songs um and for like new new music to play but using the tunes that people would already know oh yeah and i mean like i said with with it being an oral tradition you also have you know you hear someone singing something, you mishear a word or you don't quite hear something, you just stick in what fits. And mm -hmm. again, you end up with 200 versions of the same song. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know I do that a lot just listening to the radio. Like, you know, in Mr. Brightside, when it sounds like turning snakes into the sea, but it's not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've been singing that for like 10 years. <laughs> I mean, until I was like 12, I thought that the lyrics to Eye of the Tiger was, it's the cream of the fight. <laughs> you know, like, the cream is the best bit. I thought it was like, it's the, you're the best one, you're the cream of the crop. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm sure that kind of thing must have happened in the 17th century as well. Oh yeah, people are people. <laughs> But yeah, if you want a big collection of them, um, a man called Sir Frederick Madden in the mid-19th century collected 30,000 ballads. That's a lot of ballads. Yeah. Um, I mean, that just shows you how popular and widespread these were. Where did he keep them all? Um, I I don't know, but apparently they're now in the Cambridge Cambridge University Library. Um, I think at least some of them are accessible online. I may have a a poke around later. Oh, awesome. Um, if it is available online, I will tweet a link to it. Um, but yeah, I th I feel like it actually might have been easier to collect them by Madden's time because. They were, you could also get them in what were called slip sides, which is just a slip of paper with, with words in, which were actually sometimes printed in newspapers. Okay. Could you also get, um, I guess, like 
published collections of them by this point. Oh, absolutely. In fact, um, the sort of increasing availability of cheap books is po- is possibly to blame for um, for broadsides dying out in the UK. I'll get to why I said the UK in a minute. Um, ah. Well, because you know they cost a penny. But it, you're you're in the 1850s at this point. You have penny dreadfuls, so it's like, are you going to spend your penny on a couple of song lyrics, or a penny dreadful, or an instalment of a novel, or a magazine? Because fashion is becoming more and more of a thing beyond okay. very richest at this point. So you've got choices now. Yeah. Like I say, you do still find, occasionally find songs printed in newspapers, um, especially sort of ones that someone's written to commemorate some big event, which mostly didn't gain the same popularity as the earlier ballads. Um, but yeah, they they die out by sort of the late Victorian period, really, in the UK. In America, you get broadsides of hymns. Okay. Right right from when they first started being able to easily print things over there. Um right the way up till actually the twenties, like the nineteen twenties. Oh wow. Both as broadsides either handed out or pasted up in or around churches, and also hymns being like new hymns being printed in newspapers in the 1920s okay because it you know it's it's just a a much more loudly christian country than the uk i think and always (laughs) has been yeah yeah i guess um wow Um, yeah which you know i always wondered how hymns spread around when people weren't moving as much i guess i guess broadsides are it yeah, I mean, there's definitely we we've got at home a couple of early twentieth century songbooks um, that I think at least one of them has quite a few hymns in. Um, so I guess like if you hear one in church and you're like, "Oh, I like this song," it's it kind not. of becomes something. Yeah, this this hymn slaps. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably just going to be singing it around anyway, like not just in church. Um, like I feel like an example of this is uh, there's a song called "The Old Churchyard," which started off as an American uh, hymn. I think it was written in the late 19th century. It's not super old, um, but now it's just it's become kind of part of the folk tradition. Like people sing it just as a, a folk song. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think things tend to if it slaps, it'll spread. Although that's <laughs> what happened with a lot of um sort of spirituals and gospel songs, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, there's quite a few spirituals in these these old hymn bo- uh these old songbooks as well. Like hymns, popular songs, um, just all that kind of thing. Mm. I mean, of course, that kind of thing is then what evolved into 
most popular music now, like most popular genres of music, come from that spread of black religious music in the US. Mm-hmm. But that's that's a whole other thing that we are not we are very much not experts on in any way. <laughs> we'll leave that to a music history podcast. Mm. But yeah, like apparently broadsides still get published now okay. is what I didn't know. Kind of like how, you know, how there's still fandom zines floating about and you just don't really think about it until you see someone mention one. Oh, right. Like, these small folk traditions often don't die out. They just become smaller and smaller and smaller until you basically have to already be in the know to know about them. <laughs> but you, you can still find them. Wow. I, I don't know where, I could not find out where, but I found a lot of sort of folk music websites saying that the broadsides are still a thing, which is incredibly exciting because there's part of me that's just like, one day, one day <laughs> I'll just be walking through town and I'll see one. <laughs> there's something really nice about that thought just having you know somebody putting music up on the walls in the street um you know for anyone to read and work out how to play yeah like bring bring this back as a bigger thing yeah can we <laughs> like i you just i see so much like you know small independent artists are cool but rather than seeing a sticker with someone's name written in a weird font on it. I think I would rather see like a slip side. Yeah, that's a great marketing technique, actually. Uh, all you indies out there, go start pasting your music up on walls. Well, yeah, I mean, broadsides, as I said, often had woodcut illustrations on as well. So, like, partner up with a with an artist that you know, get them to do some cool pictures for it post post your songs up on a wall oh let's yeah let's bring this back really cool. i'm just gonna turn the light on so yeah that is that is the history of the broadsides and i'm i'm sure i'm not the only one who always assumed when a song was called a broadside that it used to be sung on boats <laughs> i did think they might be like nautical based sea shanties but i mean i'm sure that docks would probably be a good place to go and buy your broadsides yeah i i imagine you could get sea shanties on a broadside if they were popular i've seen them amazing (laughs) i mean i yeah i guess that's one way you could learn new sea shanties yeah Hello, I'm Mod Pencil from Probably Bad RPG Ideas. If you'd like to hear discussions of ideas such as what if in my urban fantasy game magic turns out to not be real, and what is the best rules for an ogre dad, then listen to the Probably Bad podcast, which is available on everywhere podcasts are and also YouTube. Or check out our Tumblr and Twitter. Yeah, I'm. Um... Since I mentioned it at the start, I'm going to put a link to my folk music YouTube in the episode description. Always be plugging. I mean, if you've got a podcast, <laughs> mention the thing. So, 
what is what is this week's local ladder? Okay, I've got a bit obscure for this one. Um, well, it's it's not that obscure, depending depending on where you live um, or you know who your uh, relations are. So I'm going to be talking about Kaiserspitze. What is that? It's basically German mac and cheese. Okay, I do love a bit of mac and cheese. <laughs> it's it is delicious. Um, I was thinking about you know regional things I could talk about, and I realised that I tend to talk about ones that are from the UK. So I was like, I should branch out a little bit. Um, and Kaiserspitze is something that I have eaten, um, and also. I, as I will explain, this is why you can actually eat schnitzel with noodles. Because I know that's a thing that people tend to be a bit confused about, you know, in, in The Sound of Music. Um, oh, yes. So Julie Andrews I, I sings about... Something, something, but I couldn't play Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, Julie Andrews sings about eating schnitzel with noodles, um, which, as, as, like, anyone who has ever, like, heard of schnitzel or been to Austria knows, um, you don't have schnitzel with pasta. But I think, okay, I, I'm not like, I don't have inside intel on this, but I'm pretty sure that the noodles they're referring to are kind of not actually noodles, but it's, it's Spitzler. Um, so, <laughs> um, Käse Spitzler is like the mac and cheese version of the dish. Um, which I'll talk about uh, a bit later. But a spitzler is like a tiny little egg dumpling. Um, it's, I guess it's kind of like pasta, but it's more like a doughy pasta. It's like pasta dough, but tiny. Okay. Um, yeah, they're just kind of like stodgy and tasty. Um, and they are, they're eaten kind of all over Europe um, in slightly different forms. Um, but they are really popular in Germany and Austria um, as something you can have as a side, like with different things. You can have just your Spätzle, your, uh, your little noodle dumplings with like sauce on it. Um, or you can have it as a side to various dishes. Um, so that's why you can, in fact, have schnitzel with noodles if you have your spitzler on the side. Um, yeah, so it's kind of like, it's, it's a handy carb. And the name is thought to come from Spatzen, which is the German for like little sparrow. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, I know, because they're like tiny little, you know, just little pinch of dough, just like little tiny little things. Um, and actually, it, it's extra adorable because Spitzler is like a cute nickname, apparently, in Germany. So, like, my little Spitzler. Aww. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's so cute. I want somebody to call me that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, these, these dumplings are, like, the oldest kind of written mention is 1725. But they're thought to be older because just like dumplings. <laughs> Everyone loves dumplings. Um, but um, they are particularly associated, or in, in terms of Käsespitzler, which is 
cheese dumplings. They're associated with the Schwabian region of Germany, which is a, a region in Bavaria, in southern Germany. Um, and as with all the best local larders, there is a Spitzler Museum <laughs> Amazing. in Schwabia. Um, I, I would like to go there, please. Uh-huh. It's in the town of Bad Waldsee. Which is just a fantastic name. It's got three floors of the history of Spitzler. So, onto the tools. This is one of the things that made me want to do this as a local larder. Because the tools for making Spitzler are just some of the most weird looking things I've ever seen. Like, you can kind of tell it's a kitchen implement, but like, it, it also could be something used for like curling your eyelashes or like an obscure torture device. They're like, they're fantastic. I am going to put some pictures of these tools on the Twitter. So, the traditional way to make it, which like the purists, say this is it's not a spitzler unless you use this um is like using a board um so you you get the dough and you it you have this little wooden board and like a slice and you use those to to make the little tiny little dumplings um and there are apparently pictures of medieval knights with with spitzler boards like okay. on campaign um yeah so got the priorities absolutely <laughs> you know can't go anywhere without your spitzler um yeah so these are eaten kind of all over europe but super super popular in the schwabian region of germany um and they were often made with spelt flour in like the older versions because it it grows quite well there um so it's thought that that's that's why there's this connection um and if you've ever had like have you ever had spelt bread or like spelt anything yes spelt bread is the best one to it's have with tomatoes so mm. my hot take <laughs> That is a hot take I can get behind. Spelt is <laughs> delicious. Um, <laughs> I know that like wheat is um, the the main grain that we tend to eat in Europe and America today. Um, but like there were many different kind of grains. I mean, there are many different kind of grains all over the world. Um, but there were many different grains that were used in the past as well. And spelt is uh, one that should totally come back because it is very healthy and also very delicious. I, mean, I think spelt is a kind of wheat, but it's not the kind of wheat that that we monoculture. Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, like different kinds of grains and different variations of them. Mm, it's got a much. I think it's got like a. It's had. I realized as I started talking that it's hard to describe it. It has like a deeper flavor, like a rounder flavor. 
if you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, I think, it yeah, I kind of get you. that. It tastes like it's got body. <laughs> tastes like it's got vitamins. But it's also, I don't know, it tastes, I guess it tastes a bit sourdough-ish, even if you're not making sourdough. Does that make sense? I get what you mean, because again, it's it's that like depth of flavour. Yeah. But I mean, most homemade breads are going to taste more like bread than what you get in a supermarket, I think. <laughs> more bready bread. I, I, don't, I don't mean that in a hipster way. I just... <laughs> homemade bread is really nice. It is nice. It's very good. Um, oh man, especially European breads. Like, we, we don't have great bread in the UK. I mean, we do sometimes, but like, if you want great bread, go to a Polish bakery. Hot tip. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, they were often made using spelt flour in the past, um, but obviously it's normally wheat that's used today. Although a lot of people um, in Germany still use spelt flour uh, because it is a bit more available over there. And um, Kaiserschweizler, so like the mac and cheese version, is basically these dumplings but fried. So it probably came about where people had them left over the next day. And, you know, like fried rice is like leftover rice and you fry it and you make it into stuff. Yeah. Kind of the same, the same deal. Like you have leftover Spitzler. And you fry them with onions and maybe some bacon. Um, and then you put cheese on top. And it is delicious. It sounds amazing. Yeah, it's like crispy onion and like the cheese and like the little pasta. Oh my gosh. You're making me hungry. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. I've actually never had like the standard mac and cheese, um, which also looks like really tasty. But um, it is. <laughs> but yeah, no, this this one is um, so good. Um, oh, sorry, I just had like a brain brain freeze there. Um, you can just cut that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you are interested in making Kaiserspitzler. I will link to a recipe on the Twitter. And I am also going to put the pictures of these Spätzle tools on the Twitter because they are fantastic. Uh, and they have fantastic names. One of them is a Spätzle shop, uh, like a press that you can use. That's another way of making them apart from this board. Uh, there's a Knopflermühle, which looks like some kind of round. It's like a saucepan, but with like an extra handle that you turn around and, and it makes. The, I, I don't know how it does it. You're going to have um, to tell me all the spellings of this, by the way, for the transcript, because I <laughs> do not speak German in any way, shape, or form. Absolutely. Well. I, don't, I don't really speak German, but I can pronounce it enough to sound like I speak it. <laughs> which is awkward because i so i um lived in austria for six months uh, while i was teaching training and um like i know a little bit of german 
uh, and I'm quite good at pronouncing it. So I would like say say something very small to people and then they would start talking to me like thinking that I spoke German and I would be like, I'm sorry, I don't know what is happening. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, I didn't have the time to learn German because my entire job was in English. Um, <laughs> and now that I don't live there anymore, I'm learning German. So yeah. <laughs> Um, um, better late than never, I guess. Exactly. Um, but yeah, you should definitely get a load of these tools. I'll put a link to them on Twitter, as well as a recipe, should you want to make your own Käse Spätzle, because it is delicious and dumplingy goodness. Oh, is, is this, this needs to be one of those times that you say you're going to tweet something and actually do. Oh, I absolutely will. Don't, and I, I need this. <laughs> It's such a good winter food. Like, I had it at a Christmas market and it was amazing. So, thank you for listening. Um, if you want to support us, we are on Patreon at, not at, Patreon doesn't have at, we're on Patreon as Bread and Thread, um, where you have. Yeah, there Sorry. is a Patreon-exclusive Discord server. There's monthly recipes. And I, I, might, I might put up my mac and cheese recipe. And if you give us um, 10... I think it's $10 or £8 a month... Um, we will make a bonus episode about anything you like. Anything. Anything. We are also on Twitter at Bread and Thread, um, where you can see uh, things that we've been talking about on the podcast in picture form. Um, for writing, I remember to post them. Uh, you can see teasers for upcoming episodes. And uh, keep up with what's going on on the podcast. Um, we are also on Tumblr at Bread and Thread. And if you want to say hi or suggest an episode or, I don't know, correct, correct our pronunciation. <laughs> um, not, not that I'm saying that Hazel has pronounced anything wrong. I genuinely don't know. I just needed a third thing. I've been um, doing it very confidently, but I'm <laughs> probably going to get a lot of Germans like telling me that I've done it wrong. Um, but yeah, you can you can email uh, bread and thread podcast at gmail dot com, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs>